uh, it talks about harpazo, which means we are to be snatched, we are to be caught up uh, into, into heaven. Uh, look with me this morning at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And there's a special word here that I want us to make sure we take notice of. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, mark that word. Circle it, underline it. But whatever you do, take notice of that word. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You ever wonder what you're going to be saying as we're being caught up to be with the Lord in the air? That's what we're going to be saying. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? For those who are still, still here and alive during that time at the rapture. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Which victory is that? The victory over death. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know why your labor is not in vain? because of the resurrection of Christ. And it's because of the resurrection of Christ, you too will also be resurrected. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I want us to make sure, uh, as we started this last week, want us to make sure that we understand that there is a difference, a major difference, between the rapture of the church which Paul, we just read it, calls it a mystery, the rapture of the church, our catching away, and the second coming of Christ. They're two separate events, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Um, and really, there's, I wish down through the ages the church had not labeled it the second coming of Christ because that caused a lot of people to go, well, if, the Christ comes and catches the church away, then isn't that the third coming of Christ? Well, no, it is the second coming of Christ all the way to earth because one of the major differences between the rapture of the church when we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and that's going to be fun. I mean, just uh, that, that's going to be exciting. Uh, and, and I hope, I, I want to experience that. I know Spurgeon said, no, he wants to experience death. And I've always scratched my head over that. I want to experience the rapture. I want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Um, what, a, what a glorious time that's going to be. But 
we are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The second coming has to do with the promises and with uh, the, the Scripture concerning Christ coming all the way back to earth to establish his kingdom and the promises to the nation of Israel uh, to be fulfilled. Uh, look at Zechariah 14. Zechariah chapter 14, starting with verse 3. See, this is the second coming, or the coming of the Lord, when he shall appear the second time. Verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, talking about the battle of Armageddon, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great, very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. There shall be one Lord, and his name one. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. This morning we're talking about the rapture of the church, so we're not going to take time to go through all the scriptures that talk about the Lord's second coming all the way to earth, sitting on his throne in Jerusalem in the midst of his people, uh, literally taking up a physical position on earth during that time. But the rapture of the church is prior to that second coming. That second coming, that second appearing of the Lord on earth takes place after the seven-year tribulation period. And that seven-year tribulation period is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's known as the day of the Lord primarily. And it's the time that God's wrath is poured out. It's the time when the beast and the false prophet uh, are going about doing uh, their terrible things when uh, Satan is going to be energizing them and the world is going to be worshiping the beast and really worshiping Satan during that period of time. And the rapture of the church takes place prior to that because as we talked last week, we have not been appointed to wrath. And that period of time, especially the last three and a half years, that's a time of wrath when God's wrath is being poured out. But the tribulation period is going to take place, and then Christ is coming back to do exactly what his word says he's going to do. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 9. He's appeared to the disciples. Verse 9, he's about to send into heaven. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Isn't it interesting that the apostles only witnessed Christ, only saw Christ on earth. Their connection with him was on earth. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, his only connection with the risen, ascended Christ was in the heavens. So Israel's, uh, their, God's plan for Israel is an earthly kingdom, uh, and the apostles, their connection with him is the twelve on earth, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles in heaven. But verse 10, I just think that's significant. 
And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Turn to John 14. John 14. See, John 14 fits what we just read, both with Christ coming back, both with the understanding that Christ is going to rule and reign on his throne, Jerusalem, in the temple. And when we, in November, we're going to start our Bible study in the book of Ezekiel in Sunday school, and we're going to be talking about uh, that temple. But in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, are many abiding places. You want to know about his house, you go to the book of Revelation where it talks about the new heavens, new earth, and the new Jerusalem. But in my Father's house, and his house, talking about the temple, is going to be a, a place of prayer. Every time the house of God is mentioned, it's mentioned as a place of, of prayer. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, where is he going to be? In Jerusalem, sitting on a throne, Ruling and reigning. See, this is not a promise to the church, the body of Christ. We have lots of promises to the church, the body of Christ, about our position in the heavenlies. And so we have to make sure that we understand those distinctions, those plans, those programs, those promises for the nation of Israel and the earthly kingdom and all that is to come. And they're wonderful. They're great. I mean, oh, all Israel shall be saved, according to Romans. God's going to do His work in their life. They're going to look upon Him whom they've pierced, and they're going to mourn. A nation is going to be born in a day. That's when they see Him come, and they're going to see Him whom they've pierced. It, all of that is promised to the nation of Israel. The church, the body of Christ, we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ right now. We are in Him. We are part of His body. And so our catching away, our being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, is what we refer to as the rapture. Our high calling, our blessed hope. See, that's what we believe it to be, our blessed hope. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. See, that's what the rapture of the church is. It is our blessed hope. And there are several reasons why the rapture is our blessed hope. Number one is because 
things are going to get pretty, pretty bad here on earth. You know, Paul talking to Timothy says, in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves. And he gives that whole litany of, of, of the conditions that's going to be on earth during that time. It's during that time that men are going to be giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We've not been appointed to wrath, but that's not to say that we, the church, the body of Christ, is not going to suffer persecution. I believe one of the reasons why it is called the blessed hope is because the church is going to suffer persecution in the last days. I believe the church is going to come under severe persecution, and we are going to be called upon to take a stand for Christ, to be a witness, to be a witness for Him. But i got to tell you, it's also the blessed hope, because I don't know about you, but I get tired of dealing with sin. I get tired of dealing with the flesh. I get tired of having to deal with this corruptible, and I can't wait till the day that this corruption puts on incorruption, that this mortal puts on immortality. That's, to me, the blessed hope is I'm not going to have to worry about death. I'm not going to have to worry about sin. I'm not going to have to worry about fear. So we're, we're literally, and I say this at nearly every funeral I've ever preached, and I'm going to say it at Ray's funeral, that we are still in the land of the dying. You know, people say, well, Ray's dead. You know, Ray's died. He, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he died. I'm telling you, Ray Allen is more alive today than he's ever been in his life. Those of us who've lost loved ones, they are more alive today than they've ever been. We're still in the land of the dying. He's in the land of the living. And all of those loved ones who's gone on, who have gone on before us. See, that, that's our blessed hope. And I got to thinking as I was preparing the sermon for, for Ray, and, and, and this happens every time I prepare a sermon, I, I grieve, I sorrow for the loss of that precious loved one, but I got to tell you, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm a little bit jealous. Because what God's Word tells us awaits the church at that catching away, and all that we're going to experience, it's going to be a grand time. It's going to be glorious. So we believe that it is our blessed hope. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want us to look in more detail about that event. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep are dead in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words doesn't sound like what Zechariah 14 or Acts talked about this is a special event this is that mystery exit that God's word talks about because the second appearing 
the coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom was anything but a mystery. It was not a mystery. Not at all. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a second. But what, what do we believe about this? Number one, what we believe, or what I believe, and I hope you agree with me, is that when an individual dies, that their spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. That our, our spirit uh, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord doesn't say it is to be present with the Lord, but that's what Paul said he'd rather, to be absent from the body, and we're going to get a new body, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what he wanted. So I believe when a person dies that the Spirit does return unto God who gave it. But there is going to come a time that we're going to all receive that resurrected body pretty much at the same time. The dead in Christ is going to rise first. Okay, you can go ahead. But it's almost simultaneously, we're then going to be caught up in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to be so quick, there won't be any argument. Well, did you go first? I didn't go first. Did you go first? I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Boom. It, the rapture's going to happen so quickly. And that those who have already passed away and they are presently with the Lord, they're going to receive their new body. Paul in Philippians 1, uh, Philippians 1.23 talks about he had a desire to depart and to be with the Lord which is far better that was what Paul said he had a desire to depart and to be with the Lord which is far better see he knew yeah he's I'm in a straight between the two having a desire to depart to be with Christ which is far better and when he said depart I, I think he was he's talking about dying might have been talking about the rapture well as a matter of fact the word depart same word But see, he knew to be with Christ is far better. Because in Acts chapter 14, we're not going to go there, but he is stoned, I think literally to death. He is stoned, and those that stoned him, they understood, they knew when a person was dead. And they drug him out of the city, and they just left him there for the vultures to have at him. They drug him out of the city. They stoned him. Then in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about, I knew a man once in the body, out of the body, can't really tell. But that, that man, and he's talking about himself, and he's talking about that event in, in Acts 14. He said he was caught up into the third heaven, and he heard things not lawful to be uttered. He couldn't, he couldn't tell people what he heard. <laughs> and that tells me it's going to be pretty glorious. It's going to be pretty wonderful. See, he already knew when he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, which is far better. He knew because, wow, he had already seen. He'd seen that place. 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 and 11 talks about the fact that whether we are awake or alive or whether we sleep, we're dead. The desire is to be with Christ. It, well, not just a desire, but we would be with Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 and 11. We talk about who died for us, that whether we be awake or alive, or dead, asleep, we should live together with him. So I take that scripture that those who have died in Christ are in heaven this very moment, and in the future, they are going to receive their resurrected body when this corruptible should, shall put on corruption. 
So what they do is they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, I think, is an amazing verse. And I love what's going to be going on here in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. See, the Lord didn't say the Lord's going to be doing the shouting. It's Michael, the archangel, that's going to be doing the shouting. That the Lord descends from heaven. There is going to be a shout. And it's going to be Michael, the archangel, that's going to be doing the shouting. And, the tr- and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 calls this the last trump. Calls it the last trump. And folks, without going into a whole lot of detail... And we can't at another sermon if, if there's some confusion. But this last trump has nothing to do with the seven judge, trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation. So you, you, the seventh trumpet there has to do with the seven vials being poured out. And, and that trumpet, is, this is not referring to that trumpet. But the voice, Christ descends from heaven with a shout. And basically, he gives Michael the cue, and Michael shouts, and the Lord descends. What's interesting about Michael is every time we come across him in Scripture, every time, without exception, it is always in connection with battling Satan. Every time. Every time we find Michael, in the scripture, he is battling Satan. In, in Jude chapter 9, it talks about how he's, um, uh, he's disputing with, the, the, uh, with Satan over the body of Moses. Uh, in Daniel uh, 10, I think, it, he talks about how he's, Michael is fighting with the prince of Persia, a demonic being uh, in Persia, in order for Daniel's prayers to be answered. Hey, you want an idea of how powerful Satan is and his dominion is Uh, Michael and Gabriel were trying to get to Daniel in order to answer his prayers but they were being prohibited by a demonic horde from doing that until they came and did battle in order to get them aside so that Gabriel could come and and talk to uh, to Daniel it's not fantasy that shows you there's a spiritual world out there that's active And Michael plays a role in that spiritual world. In Revelation 12, who is it that fights Satan in heaven and fights Satan and his army, and Michael and his army? They fight, and it's Michael that overcomes Satan and kicks him out of heaven. Woe to them that are on the earth, because Satan knows he has but a short time, and so, boy, is he going about doing terrible things on the earth during that time. See, every time we hear about Michael, he has something to do with Satan. Give me a couple of things that we know about Satan. Number one, the Scripture calls him what? The God of this world. And again, if you don't believe that, just watch the news. He's the God of this world. The God of this age, he absolutely is. Number two, according to Ephesians 2, he is what? The prince and power of the air. Prince and power of the air. Where does Christ come for his church, the body of Christ, to be gathered up to? In the air. I believe with a shout of Michael, I believe that it is absolutely 
It absolutely has to do with Michael shouting a warning signal to Satan, get out of the way. I think there are demons that are going to try to prohibit the church from being caught up. And I believe that that with a shout of the archangel, it is, I'm not sure what he's going to say, but it's going to have something to do with move, move, get out of the way. And the church, the body of Christ is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So I, I believe God is consistent through that. I think the fact that Satan is the God of this world and his authority that he exercises, the power that he wills, wills is not easily dismissed. And we need to know that what Michael is doing is carrying out God's prescribed purpose for him, for God is consistent, and he is still battling the God of this world, the prince and power of the air. There's another view, and, and I'm really not so sure that both views aren't, aren't together. That Scripture talks about how that Michael is the one who stands for the children of God. In, in Israel, in the Old Testament, it was Michael who stood for them. And that when the Lord Jesus comes back, and Michael is used of God to start gathering the children of Israel, that the rapture of the, the church concludes this present dispensation, and with this dispensation coming to such a, uh, a sudden end, God's prophetic clock in dealing with Israel and the kingdom in the last days, it starts ticking again. Right now, that prophetic clock is stuck, and it's not moving Heaven is silent, but boy, once Michael, the Lord descends with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the church is taken out, because what God is basically doing on earth, according to Revelation 19, is declaring war, and to declare war, a nation always calls his ambassadors home, and that's what God's word calls us, so his ambassadors are called up, and God's program, God's plan, God's dealing with Israel, that clock starts ticking. Boom, 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 boom. And then they're going to know seven years, seven years tribulation period from the time that it begins to the midway point with the rebuilding of the temple. And, and they're, they're going to know, they're going to be able to read the book of Revelation and know what the timeline is. He that endures until the end shall be saved. They're going to they're be counting off those years, those that are alive. They're going to know. And so when Michael shouts, I think it's connecting, it's, that is connected with the jump start of God's prophetic program for the nation of Israel. It also explains the trump of God. See, you, you go to Numbers 10, and there are two trumpets, two golden trumpets. One was to, if you heard the first one, it was to gather the people uh, together. They were to assemble. And the second trumpet, it was a declaration of, of move. Just get going. Less, it, it, war was associated with it. And so, it, the, Paul to the 
church in Corinth calls it the last trump, the last of the two trumps. And when that sound, that definitely is associated with the gathering of Israel and the moving forward and that program getting started. So I think when the church is raptured out, yeah, that's glorious, that's wonderful, but there's much more going on than just the church being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's all this uh, prophecy, this prophetic dealing with with the nation of Israel and all the things that Scripture talks about is going to happen. Boy, that jump starts, and here we go. Or, well, there we go, here they go. And it's going to be glorious for us there. But it's not. It's a time of Jacob's trouble here. Aren't you glad we've not been appointed to wrath? And the third thing, third view, and a lot of people hold this view, is, hey, if God wants Michael to shout and he wants to blow his trumpet, he can do that. It doesn't have to be associated with anything. (laughs) If God wants to shout and wants to blow a trumpet... God, you're sovereign. You're all-powerful. I don't have to understand it. You let Michael holler, and you let that trumpet blast. And here we come. And I guess the question is, ready or not? Ready or not? Hope, ready. But if not, well, that's easily remedied by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so shall we be caught up to meet the Lord in the air in the twinkling of an eye. I think Ed Judy told me one time that's 186,000 miles per second. It's not just a blink. That's slow. That's 186,000 miles a second. That's fast. That's fast. Hey, that's, that's faster than a toddler can move. Not much faster, but a little faster. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, let's look at that again. Let no man, verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means for that day, talking about the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a departure first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. See, that departure, that is the rapture. That's our calling on high, or our high calling in Christ. We are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Don't confuse that. And this is is important because this is where a lot of people get confused. Well, pastor, what about Matthew 24? Okay. What about Matthew 24? Look with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. People say, well, Christ was talking about the rapture in Matthew 24. Except one thing, that's not a mystery. Hey, see, Paul couldn't have said in Matthew 24... If this is the rapture of the church, what's something that Paul couldn't have said? Behold, I show you a mystery. Because it was not a mystery. Christ had said it. Israel expected there to be a resurrection. 
Christ talked about this judgment that was coming. But look at Matthew 24. Let's start with verse, uh, well, let's start with 30, 36, Tim. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, that's important, folks. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let me ask you a question. Noah, uh, were the bad flooded, were uh, the bad taken away and Noah left on earth? Yeah, the answer to that is yeah. See, this here is the exact off opposite. It was those who, it was those that died in the flood that they were done away with. And it was Noah that was left behind. And so just as in the days of Noah, those that, that were destroyed, they're the ones that were taken out of the way. With the rapture, see, the bad guys were taken out of the way. The good guy was left floating around. With the rapture, the good guys, us, are taken out of the way. And those who don't know Christ are left. So it's the exact opposite. But let's keep reading. They knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. So which one is to be taken? In the rapture, which one's taken? Us, the good. Which one's left? Those that had not trusted Christ. So then two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. When the Lord comes, what's one of the things that is on his agenda, an important thing that's on his agenda? It's the judgment of the nations. See, God's word doesn't leave us wondering what's going on here. Look at Matthew 25 verse 31. So, two women are standing grinding. One's taken out of the one way, one's left. Uh, it, people say, ah, oh, that's the rapture. No, it's, the, it's really the opposite of the rapture. It is what happens in the second coming. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them from, from one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, and he will set the, set the sheep, and he shall set the sheep. That is really hard to say. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Which kingdom is that? The one on earth. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
He talks about you were a hunger and you took me in. What does he say to those on his left? Verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what happens at the second coming again. A major difference between the rapture and the second coming. It is the, the rapture. If I were to tell you the Lord is coming and you're going to have to go through seven years, really. Well, the Lord says there's going to, there's going to be a time of, of tribulation such as never, never been. And here's what you're going to have to endure. And you're going to have to overcome in order to be saved. When the scripture already tells us in Romans 8, we're more, we're more than overcomers. But, oh, folks, this is what you're going to have to endure. But I'm telling you this because I want to comfort you. Anybody feel comforted by telling you you're going to have to go through a tribulation and a period like has never, ever been on the face of the earth before? I'm not comforted by that. But I am comforted by saying, hey, God has not appointed us to wrath. God's not appointed us to wrath. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We belong to Him. We are seated this very moment in the heavenlies with Him. That's our position in Christ. Our salvation is not dependent upon us overcoming what all is in store during the tribulation, but we're already more than overcomers in Christ. Now, folks, that's comforting. That's comforting. And two times he says that we're to comfort one another with these words. And that has to do with the rapture of the church, the blessed hope a wonderful time when sin is no longer an issue. You realize when once we get to heaven, we're not going to have to say, hey, we need to pray for so-and-so because they're facing cancer or they're in the hospital or you know, they're really having a difficult time emotionally or there's, there's troubles, there's things going on. Won't be any more funerals. Isn't that going to be glorious? Not, even, not only will there not be any more funerals, there's not going to be any more crying. There'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sorrow, and there'll be no more night. Wow, I'm, I got news for you. That's comforting, and that's what we have to look forward to. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death. And real quickly, you know, when my kids were little, it, the thought bothered me because I believed in the rapture of the church and I would think, Lord, if you were to come and don't want my girls to be left behind. Now, both of my girls trusted Christ Jesus at an early, early age. And it, I think we need to make sure our kids hear the gospel. But it would concern me, and I would say, Lord, if, if, if children don't go home, if, if the children aren't caught up, then just leave me. I want to protect my kids. And I was serious. Leave me here to face your wrath rather than my babies have to endure it alone. And I prayed about that, and I studied on, about that, and I came away from my study convinced, absolutely, 
that there is an age of accountability. There is a time when our children are innocent. And I know, I know that there's times when, boy, the fact that they're related to Adam's race comes out at a very early age. You ever notice that with your kids? Robin, why did you look at Aaron? Yeah. But that's, that's true. When they're babies, boy, there is no doubt that they're kin to Adam. But I believe up until a certain age, and I've got Scripture to back it up. We're going to see. I'm not going to just tell you what I believe. I'm going to tell you what I believe Scripture says. But I believe that there is an age of accountability. I believe there's a time of innocence when God does not hold them responsible. Uh, and I'll tell you this. It just does not fit the character of God. Yeah, he is a God of judge, uh, he, a judgment, he, he is of judgment and, and wrath. But he's a God of love and mercy and, and goodness when we study the attributes of God. And I think when you stop to think of all the millions and millions and millions of babies that are aborted, because being pro-life, we believe that a child is, has a body, soul, and spirit. And are you telling me that, and, and they're just as much alive from the moment of conception, I firmly believe, and I'll argue till the day I die, that those millions and millions and millions and millions of babies are in hell? I don't think so, Tim. That just goes against the character and mercy of God. Plus, it goes against what Scripture says is the character and mercy of God. Matthew 19, verse 14. What does Christ say about the children? Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, these children had never had a chance to say, Yes, Lord, we believe. But I think they are innocent. God counts them innocent. But Tim, put Mark 10, 13 through 16 up there. Mark 10, 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked them that brought them. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 15. And verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. How is a, a little child, what is it something that a little child has? Faith. They believe. They're innocent. Verse 16. And he took them up in his arms and he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. Oh, folks, when I read this, I just cannot imagine the God who saved me, who loved me, who drew me to himself to abandon them to a Christless eternity. Just, I can't. Jonah. Jonah was... He was sorrowful that a gourd he had planted that had come up to give him shade after he had gone to Nineveh and had preached and Nineveh had repented because of their sin. And Jonah was really feeling sorry for that gourd that had, had 
not swiveled, anyway, had died, yeah. And what did the Lord do? He chastised Jonah and said, wait a minute, you, you're upset that this gourd has dwindled, yet you're not upset that there are thousands and thousands of people in Nineveh that don't know their right hand from their left? Now, who don't know their right hand from their left? Well, okay, I have some relatives in Alabama that still don't know, but that's totally, that's totally different subject. But who, do not, who does not know their right hand from their left? Children. Little children don't know their... And it kind of gives you an idea into the heart of God. Paul is, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. He's telling the church in Corinth, you need to have the understanding. Don't have the understanding. Well, brethren, be not children understanding, howbeit in malice be your children. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, he wants them to have understanding God's word, but he says, but in malice, you know, be like children. Because you're not going to find malice. You're not going to find bitterness and hatred. Again, that, that scripture just speaks volumes to me of the heart of God when it comes to innocency of children. One more. Deuteronomy 1, 39. I think this scripture just tells us what God's mindset is toward children. And as you turn, mamas and daddies and grandparents, make sure early you start sharing the gospel with your children. That's why it's important to bring them to church. It's important to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for them to see that God has made a difference in your life. But remember the children of Israel, they started complaining and groaning and, and belly aching and they said to God, why, you've brought us into this wilderness, and, and now our children are going to be wiped out. And, and, you, and he, they were just griping and complaining. And God had taken them, and the 12 spies had gone in, and 10 of the spies came back and said, they're giants, we can't do it. Oh, mercy, mercy. And two of them said, oh, yeah, we can. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the rest of them said, no, no, we can't. Oh, yeah, they're too big and terrible. And so they didn't get to enter the land right then. And so they went into the wilderness. And those that said, nope, 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 we're not, we can't do it. They die in the wilderness. But who gets to go into the promised land? You want to know the mindset and heart of God? Verse 39. Moreover, your little ones, what you said should be a prey in your children which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither. See, I think that's the key, knowledge of good and evil. Our precious babies don't have that knowledge of good and evil. That, and, and those that, uh, that have mental, uh, incapable mentally of knowing good and evil, I think the blood of Jesus covers, covers those precious ones. And 
if somebody thinks I'm wrong, and I, and I do know there are people that think I'm wrong. That's why they say, let's get those babies baptized really early. Well, what is that doing? See, I would rather trust the blood of Christ. I would rather trust the love and mercy of God than somebody sprinkled, pouring, or dunking. A poor baby or poor child. And, and here in Deuteronomy, I think those kids, those, your children, that, that age was 18 years and under, by the way. So that's, that, that's quite a large, large range. Not saying that I believe 18 and under is the age of accountability. I think the age of accountability is they don't know the difference. Uh, they don't know right from wrong. Number one, it's our job to teach them the difference between right and wrong at an early age and share the gospel with them. So when the rapture comes, and it's coming, it's coming. So number one, I believe our children are going to go up to meet the Lord in the air. And in the meantime, I'm going to be making sure every time, I'm sure my grandkids get tired of, of their granddaddy saying, let's talk about the Lord Jesus. You know, let's go fishing. Okay, but I know what you're going to want to talk about. And they're right. You know, Sadie, if, if <laughs> you probably shouldn't do this. Sadie, if we were to get killed in a car wreck right now, <laughs> what? But you, you still want them and to know that it could happen. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? So we, we talk. Talk to your children. Talk to your grandchildren. And the other point is, are you ready? Have you put your faith and trust in the God of all mercy, in the God of who is love and gracious? Well, he loves you. And he's made a way for you to have eternal life. I'm, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. Maybe not in this body, thank goodness. It hurts too much. But I am going to live forever. There's no doubt about that. And not because I preach for a living. Not because I'm such a good husband and such a nice guy. But because Jesus paid it all. That's the reason I know I'm going to heaven. Let's stand and be dismissed. And as I mentioned before, I, I have to hit the road heading to, to Austin, so I won't be out here for very long. I, I do want to um, uh, see you as, as you leave and visit with you for just a little bit, but I'd, I do have to hit the road and get, get on down to Austin. going to try to make it to Oklahoma City tonight, south of Oklahoma City, and, and uh, uh, stop there, and then I'll go on the rest of the way in. I have meetings tomorrow with the family, and, and so... Uh, be praying for me as I, as I travel down. Uh, so be praying for Faye. She's not able to go. Good news is I do get to see our daughter and, and son-in-law. And so that's, they're, down, they're there in Austin. I get to stay with them. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to preaching the gospel.
Let's pray. Father, we